everyone, and welcome to Food Navigator Asia's monthly podcast, the FNA Food and Beverage Trailblazers. It's the series where we speak to and get to know more about groundbreaking food and beverage firms in the Asia-Pacific region, as well as the people behind them and their stories. I am Pearly, the editor of Food Navigator Asia, and as always, I am your host for this series. Joining me today is Stephen Michael Koh, co-founder and CEO of Worth the Health or WCH Foods, one of the pioneering plant-based meat leaders in the Philippines. We'll talk more about the firm shortly, but first of all, hello Stephen, welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for joining me today. Hi Pearly, thanks for having me. Um, I'm excited to uh, share with, our, with you and the audience um, about what we do and why we do what we do. It's really great to have you here today. And I think the first thing I'd like to start off with is to get more background from you on your work with WCH Foods and your very interesting plant-based product range, which has a lot of international items like sausages, also much more unusual fare like sisig. So first off, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what makes you different from the other plant-based companies out there. We are 100% plant-based food innovation startup. Uh, we are operating in the Philippines, Singapore, and soon in Central Europe. And we sell our plant-based meat brands under uh, Umani. In the Philippines, uh, which is our primary market, uh, you know, we, there, there's a few players as well. Uh, mm -hmm. We try to stand out in terms of our healthy nutrition. We make sure that our products are the healthiest plant-based meats out there. Uh, mm. lower in sodium, higher in nutrients, and uh, I guess we, we really pay attention. We want, we want our plant-based meats to really contribute to the health of uh, the Philippines and perhaps very soon to the world. You've sort of mentioned there um, the healthy side of things, and I think that would be a good sort of point to mention. One of the major issues that the plant-based scene tends to face, you know, has to do with the consumer perception that a lot of all these products are automatically, definitely ultra-processed, high in sodium, high in additives. You know, have you really found this to be an issue, especially when you work, you know, with Filipino cuisine, which is typically stronger, heavier in terms of flavors and taste? I think wherever you are in the world, uh, plant-based getting attacked uh, as being more highly processed than their uh, meat um, equivalent, mm. I guess. Uh, but but I beg to disagree. Uh, we we study our uh, nutritional values all the time, and we make sure that our products are superior in terms of nutritional values to what we are to the meat products that we are trying to uh, replace or uh, substitute. For example, um, with, with our sausages or even sisig, uh, we make sure that uh, the sodium content is lower. We, mm. we fortify some of our products with um, vitamin B12, which is a, a common, um, I guess, uh, nutrient that, that vegans are, are lack, lacking off. Um, mm -hmm. And, and of course, like there's zero cholesterol and you get your plant fiber since it's made of plants uh, here in Southeast Asia and even in the Philippines. Um, you know, there is a, a, a slight, I guess, misconception that healthy products mm. are not delicious. Mm. So we also have to push for that delicious angle. And as a food company, that's what you that's what really gets people to repurchase your products, the, the taste. And of course, um, a price that uh, that could be uh, that's affordable to the target market. So it's so for us, it's taste number one, and then price, and then nutrition comes in 
very, very close, uh, more than um, your your sustainability or animal mm. welfare, especially in Southeast Asia. And I think you mentioned the sisig, which I think uh, it's very local Filipino dish. Traditionally, I think it's a minced pork and chicken liver dish, which is really interesting. And then I think there's also another local dish you have, which is tapa. I think it's usually a dried or a cured meat product in the conventional sense. So these are very, very local products. So I'm wondering with this localization, how important have you found localization to be, you know, for your business growth and for, you know, achieving some consumer acceptance and interest, you know, are you seeing these local dishes to be more popular than, you know, the other items like sausages and so on? The, the problem statement that we were trying to go for was, um, you know, what the West or the Western brands offer mm. in terms of plant-based meat are not really applicable to the Southeast Asian behavior or palate. Uh, you know, we don't eat a lot of, uh, I guess, American style burger patties or mm. American style sausages. And that's why we uh, we we develop um, a more localized uh, products uh, suited for the Filipino palate. So even our burgers and mints and uh, sausages all have that uh, a Filipino twist, if you could, mm. if you could say, yes, um, it, it's a bit. Uh, more flavorful, uh, a bit more salty, uh, but designed to be eaten with like rice or starches. Ah. Uh, so, so those are the I think the nuances of uh, local culture. And then we realize that you know um, with the influx of the the plant based meats from the West uh, coming into Southeast Asia as well as a market that they see to be growing as well, we have to differentiate and uh, and localize some more and decided to look into our local favorites. Uh, it tastes uh, very Filipino and, and that's what we eat. So for example, like tapa, uh, we usually eat it as a breakfast food with your uh, fried rice and an egg. Oh, okay. and it's a very staple. And with sisig, uh, you know, we are advised, uh, there is a running joke that we are advised to only eat sisig uh, twice a year. Um, <laughs> it's very, very high cholesterol and high oh. fat content. Um, you're right. It's made of uh, actually. It's made of from, uh, you know, from the meat from the pig's face, the oh. ears, the cheek, the tongue, uh, which we mm. usually take with beer uh, in in happy hour. Um, it's a oh, drink. Okay. Yeah, it's a drinking food, and uh, but now we're we are able to make that sisig a bit healthier. You know, um, mm. zero cholesterol. Uh, with your with your fibers and I think we could eat this more than twice a year now yeah <laughs> for sure for sure so uh you mentioned of course that you know all of these like sort of like retail products are under the umani brand so uh, I'm saying you also have botany which is more of a food service focus so with this you of course have um experience both at the retail side of things and also the food service side of things so I'd like to ask what value you have found your experience, you know, with both of these sites, you know, have brought to WTH Foods for your business growth and um, your market sort of understanding and so on and so forth. We went to food service uh, to try to address uh, the problem that um, most of us, given that plant-based meats are still quite new in the in the food scene, do mm. not really know how to properly cook our the plant-based meats at home. That gave us the decision to uh, to put up a few food uh, service brands. Uh, yes, one is Botany, which is mm. actually our pilot kitchen. It's not it's not 
it's not a growth um, driver for us. It's more of mm. a, a test kitchen. Um, our, our joint venture called Umani Bistro. Okay. Uh, we joint we joint ventured with a food kiosk company in the Philippines. That this is how we plan to get our plant-based meat brands uh, to to be mainstream. Uh, Filipinos, mm -hmm. I think a lot like a lot of uh, busy Southeast Asian um, populations or countries go for that convenient, tasty meals, and and mm -hmm. that's why I think like convenience stores are ubiquitous for for this products. So we with Umani Bistro, um, they use our plant-based meats in Filipino comfort dishes, um, mm. such as your I think like I mentioned like a tapsilog, which is a tapa. Uh, fried rice and plant-based egg substitute um, or, or like a sisig rice bowl. How we get our customers to try our product, it's the health angle. We say this is mm -hmm. delicious, this is healthy, and, and then they go for it. What are your plans for WTH Foods moving forward? I think you mentioned Europe a little bit. You know, where are you looking to go from here? We are very excited uh, with our seafood line. Uh, mm. We've developed um, our plant-based uh, tuna and uh, crab cakes, which are uh, ready for launch uh, this year. And what is more exciting is our microalgae-based tuna. Uh, ah, yes. Using, mm. using pea protein and microalgae um, and high moisture extrusion technology, we're able to come up with uh, our plant-based tuna, a very clean label, just five mm. ingredients. Uh, it, it, it bites like a tuna. It, mm. it tastes like tuna, and I would venture again in saying that it's far superior um, in terms of nutritional values as it has no cholesterol. You have your mm -hmm. fibers there. It has the same amount of um, DHA and omega-3 and none of your bad things. No no microplastics, no uh, heavy metal. We still see Europe as um, the biggest market in terms of uh, plant-based meat and uh, the fastest growing market when we look at it. And and with this new clean label product, I think uh, WTH would be launching in Europe this year. All right, very cool. So um, now we've talked a fair bit about the firm, the industry and your plans for growth. But now I would like to find out a little bit more about your own entrepreneurial journey so far, Stephen. So I understand your background was first in you know, bioscience market research. Then I think you also went to Cambridge to focus on learning about life science enterprise, commercialization. So I am dying to know how did you utilize all of these learnings and everything you've done, you know, to move into food entrepreneurship? I... My background is indeed like a science mm -hmm. and, and business. And I've always wanted to put, for example, like the Philippines in the map of innovation. And and for, for me, uh, the way to express science is through food. Uh, there's a lot of science that goes into food. And, and that's how I got into uh, food innovation, despite my background in biology, biotech, and the life sciences. Um, it, it's my desire to to really showcase uh, science to uh, the young generations of Filipinos and how uh, science really plays a big role in in saving the world, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and the only way to do that is to be able to commercialize science. It was when I was in the industry when I uh, saw these challenges of commercializing um, agricultural products in the Philippines. Uh, it is there is a there is a supply challenge um, mm. when you know when when the Philippines is in the typhoon belt, we we always get typhoons that destroys uh, a huge agricultural um, 
plots of land every year, including our mm. jackfruits and uh, and mung beans. So there is a, I guess, um, inconsistency in terms of supply. Mm -hmm. That's why we we also have to move to using uh, your soy and the wheat proteins uh, yep. that that are still, I think, the um, the most economical sources of plant proteins. Mm -hmm. But we, but we're not stopping there. Uh, we and and throughout our research, and that's when we discovered that microalgae is also a viable source of scalable, sustainable proteins. You since you moved, you know, from science to food. So wondering what you feel has been the di biggest difference between you know what you were doing previously, you know, and what you are doing now. Maybe you could say like comparing science and food even. Being an entrepreneur, it's a it's a very difficult journey, uh, especially in terms of getting people on board, um, your shareholders to support you. Uh, you know, you you must carry on. Uh, you must be, um, I guess, the visionary that shows the vision to mm -hmm. to the stakeholders, to the shareholders, making your team believe in you. So. I guess that that defines me more than um, the the transition from from the sciences to the food. I think, and I guess with food, uh, which everyone enjoys um, now, uh, we're also looking at food as medicine or as uh, contributors to healthy aging. It cuts across generation, from uh, you know, when, from from when you're a baby to when you're an elderly you would be needing food as a source of enjoyment and nutrition and not just as a uh, for sustenance so so that's what's re i guess that's what's really in interesting um it's it's very different i guess from the different sciences where um it, it could cut across culture but with food as well culture is very much um a driver as well and and that's why localization is very important uh, to um, as a as a food brand or as a food company, when we when we go to different markets, um, well, there are similarities across our target markets, whether they are health conscious or uh, adventurous in terms of uh, trying out new food items. But cultural aspects really play a part, and we have to respect uh, their culture and understand their culture. And that's why I think personally as well. Uh, we are not advocating for the total eradication of um, animal meat, as as mm -hmm. we understand that animal um, animal based uh, meats and food and dishes are still a part and parcel of um, a lot of different cultures and religions. Um, we want to augment. We want to uh, substitute or or um, add to the growing demand for protein and not mm -hmm. really uh, take out culture and food and the nuances that comes along um, in a country's food culture. Is there anything that you wish you had known when you were starting out, you know, on this whole entrepreneurial journey, you know, from science to beverage to food, anything that you might have changed if you had known this in advance? I think the way to do business, uh, there's many ways to do to do business. Um, for example, this is the uh, this is my first venture where we are truly fundraising, where we need mm. uh, is like a very tech based uh, company as well, where we do a lot of R&D and we spend a lot on R&D. So we need to uh, fundraise. Um, it's very different from, you know, doing um, a more, let's say, uh, a more like lifestyle business when 
you need like a small amount of capital and uh, roll it over. So, so these are the new things that really excite me as well. Um, how to uh, I, we we do look for investors, uh, we do look for shareholders, uh, strategically. Um, but with what we are doing, we get to talk to a lot of interesting people. With this, you know, you need like um, a lot more different strategic partners mm. and uh, connections and. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, these are all like very uh, quite new to us. Um, yep. Very exciting as well. The skills mm -hmm. are different, especially like talking to uh, the whole world. Do you have any advice for others who are looking to go into food entrepreneurship like you have? It's a very exciting time to be in the food industry right now. There's a lot of uh, platform technologies being applied to food and with big problems in terms of uh, food systems in the world. Uh, I think we need more hands, we need more investments, uh, solving our food challenges, uh, food security issues around the world. So I, there's a lot of collaborations ongoing. So I think there's no better time to be a food entrepreneur than now. Very good. Thank you so much for joining me today, Stephen. It was so great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Pearly. Thank you so much. And thank you also, everyone, for listening to this podcast as well. And I wish everyone a great day ahead. For Food Navigator Asia, this is Pearly signing up.